that I read earlier, which was Peter addressing the crowd, some amazing things happened. And so I want to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And this is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. For those of you that, I know many of you know this, but for those of you that don't know this, the the Wesleyan Church is considered a holiness denomination. Now, we're not alone. There are several denominations that are also considered holiness. And as a holiness denomination, there are certain aspects of the Christian theology that we focus on specifically dealing with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are a church that believes that the Holy Spirit fills God's people and fills God's church and enables them to live holy lives here on a less than holy earth, right? Our our world is not perfect. We, We live in a fallen and cursed world due to humanity's choices, but we believe that God can fill us and make us holy as we live here. And the, the history of our church, the history of the Wesleyan Church, which is the history of the Wesleyan Methodist and the Pilgrim Holiness, is a history where we can look at, and it clearly shows that our founders and our great leaders of the past and still today consider the Wesleyan Church and other Wesleyan denominations to be Holy Spirit-filled. And so the question that I want to present to you this morning is this. Are we still a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit? And when I ask that question, I know it's easy to look around and point fingers and do things, but I want to, I want to make it very personal. Am I a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in my life, which then carries over into the church where we can ask, are we a spirit-filled church? And this morning, what I want to do, I want to look at the the characteristics that marked the early church as a spirit-filled church. What evidence was there that the early church was indeed filled with the Holy Spirit? And is there such evidence in today's church as well? Do we have the marks of what it means to be a Holy Spirit-filled church? And we see at Pentecost, if you go to Acts chapter 2, that is is Pentecost. When we see Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and was poured out and filled the church. And in Acts chapter 2, I believe it's verses 1 through 39, we find the story of the church. And it's, it's in this story that we also find the identifying marks of a Holy Spirit filled church. There are marks that say that church, there are identifying marks that we can look at and say that church is different. That church, there's something special about that church. There's something special about that person. And what is it? Well, it's because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. There are are marks that identify a Spirit-filled church. And as you study this passage, what you'll find is there are five marks that identify the early church as a church that was filled with the Holy Spirit. There are five marks, and these five marks will serve as the evidence of the church or the person that is filled with the Spirit. So there are three questions that we have to ask as we go into these five marks. Number one is, do we, 
as a whole, as the Wesleyan church as a whole, do we have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit filling the Wesleyan church as a whole? Then, bring it down even more personal, does the Holy Spirit fill our local church? Are we a local church that is filled with the Holy Spirit? Then take it a step further. Am I a Spirit-filled person? Do I bear the identifying marks of being a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit? And the first is this. The first identifying mark is this. It is power. Power. We, we, we sing the song, there's power in the blood, right? There's power in the blood. When you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you are gifted that power. You see, when, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, there was this very tangible expression of that Spirit. There was this audible sign of a sound of, as a mighty rushing wind. And that concept of a mighty rushing wind was a concept that represented power, right? If any of you have ever been through either a tornado or a hurricane, has anyone ever experienced one of those two things? Yeah. When that wind starts blowing, what do you do? You run for shelter, right? Because there, there, is, there is something about that wind that, that you know something's coming, right? When that wind starts howling, when that wind starts blowing, if you step out in it, you can literally feel that power, right? You can't necessarily see it unless you see the debris, but that's the debris, not the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can feel it, right? When the Holy Spirit comes, it comes in like that rushing wind. Sure, we may not be able to see it, but we can feel the power. Those of you who have experienced the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm talking about, right? I know, I know sometimes we giggle when people run the aisles or when people get up and, 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 and very physically show that they've been touched by the Holy Spirit. We, we sometimes laugh about it. We're like, oh, why is that? They can't control it. They experience that power. But that power comes, you're like, okay, pastor, what do you mean by power? What does this look like? Well, the power comes in three different ways, okay? The first is, is, is especially this is the evidence of, of the older church, but it still happens today. And that is healing power. There is healing power with the Holy Spirit. And there's different types of, of healing power, right? So you have physical healing. The New Testament church was a church that daily saw the power of the Holy Spirit heal people, physically heal people. In Acts chapter 3, it tells a story uh, of Peter and John when they healed the lame man on their way into the temple. And they, and they, and they, and they, and they physically saw him become healed. He was a lame man who couldn't walk, but then all of a sudden he could walk. And, and I know what you're thinking. Well, pastor, I've never seen that. But, but in today's context, it looks a little bit different. Phys I do believe that physical healing still happens, right? We have a beautiful gift from God. It's called modern medicine. And I know people want to say, well, let's just chalk up to science. We got to get the knowledge from somewhere. <laughs> the knowledge for modern medicine is a gift from God. So our physical healing may not look like it did back then, but it still happens, right? When somebody is diagnosed with cancer and they go in and all of a sudden they see the charts, they see, the, they see all the, the results of, of the scans, and then they go back a few months later and it's gone. Well, the medicine worked, or maybe God did, because God gave us the knowledge for the medicine, right? You have six months to live, yet they live for six more years. It's healing power, ladies and gentlemen. It's a physical healing power. God still has the ability today. We just have to be willing to see it. Well, pastor, it doesn't look like it did back then. When I touch that person, I pray over them not healed. Listen, I know, I know we always talk about death as a bad thing, but sometimes death is the permanent healing. It's physical healing. Another one is, is emotional healing. So when we talk about healing, we automatically go to, we, we, we like to go to physical, right? 
I have an ouch, I have a boob, I want that physical healing. However, there are emotional and mental scars in our life. And God has, the Holy Spirit has the power to heal us emotionally and mentally. I, I want to share a story about my friend. Now, I, I got permission to share the story a few years ago. And he asked me, he said, just don't mention my name. I said, that's fine. He's a U.S. Marine who served, he was an infantryman. He served two, two tours in Iraq. He was there one time for 15 months. He had a lot of emotional and mental scars. Uh, for those of you who have ever experienced war, you know the terrors that come with it. You know the, the horrors that happen in war. And my friend experienced that firsthand. And he called me one day. I was heading home from drill weekend when I was serving in the Army. I was a chaplain assistant. And my buddy called me, and he had the gun in his hand. And I stopped my truck, and I pulled over, and I knew I was going to have to turn around for one of two reasons. I was either going to have to call 911, or I was going to have to go to him and get him help. And I was praying, Lord, just let me get to him. So I pulled my truck over to the side. I was afraid I was going to hear it through the phone. And he said, it's, it's time, and I wanted somebody to know, and he called me. And I, I was able, through my training and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I was able to talk him down, and, and we were able to get him to the help that he needed. And over the next few months in helping him, we were able, the chaplain and I, and, and again, this is not us, this is the, the Holy Spirit working through us, we were able to get him hooked up into a church. And when I say got him hooked up into a church, I'm telling you a church that had the power of the Holy Spirit. This, young, this, this man is now married, he has a kid, and he works with veterans who are struggling with suicide. The Holy Spirit took him, healed him emotionally, transformed him into a person that I honestly, I don't even recognize anymore. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit, he is now healed emotionally and mentally, and he now works with veterans who are dealing with suicide. I see it all the time. He does the marches. He does everything. And I sit back and think, Holy Spirit, thank you so much. Don't ever underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. I know when we say healing, we think about the, the healing power physically, but a lot of times it's emotional and mental healing as well. That is healing, ladies and gentlemen. The other type of healing is is spiritual healing. If a church is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, people in that church are being uh, reconciled to God. Spiritual healing, meaning people are coming to God. Sinners are being transformed into saints. And they're coming to know God. Spiritual healing, ladies and gentlemen. And that's the first type of power. The second type of power is transforming power. So you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you have healing power, then you have transforming power. When a church is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, it transforms its community around it. We're transformed, ladies and gentlemen, into true disciples. And we transform the community around us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not us. We always say, well, look at that church. That church's doing great. Nope, God's doing great. Not the church. God's just using the church. Right? We always like to give credit to people. Why don't we give more credit to God? Because it's not us. Right? Well, look, at, look what I did. Nope, that was God. Sorry. If you read, if, if those of you who, are, who have been coming on Wednesday nights, you always hear me talk about Paul. And when you, when you read Paul's writings and listen to who he talks about, he never talks about himself. I mean, he does. He says, I was a wretched man. I, I was a poor man. But God worked through me. And what we need to do is when, when the transforming power happens, it's not us we got to give credit where credit is due. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit transformed the community, transformed the church, transformed that person. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So you have healing power, transforming power, and the last one is motivational power. The power of the Holy Spirit in the church is a motivational force to be reckoned with. People who are willing to leave their families and go into the mission field, people who are willing to step up and say, you know what, I don't care if you make fun of me, I don't care what you say. 
I am motivated, energized to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know what happened to me. I've seen the healing. I've seen the transformation. And now I am motivated and energized to go out and spread that motivational power. So the first thing that we see in this passage about the power of the Holy Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit comes in, it transforms the church into a powerful church, not because of anything that we've done, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The second, so that's the first sign, that's the first mark of a, of a spirit-filled church, is power. The second one is purity. A Holy Spirit-filled church, not only is a church of power, but it's a church of purity. It's pure. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, there was another very tangible expression of that spirit. There was a visible sign of cloven tongues of fire that rested upon them. And and the idea associated with fire is the idea of purity. When you want to refine gold, guess what you have to do to it? You have to put it into the fire. When you want to refine silver, what do you have to do with it? You have to put it into the fire. So the idea of fire comes with purity. And when that fire was put on them, when the Holy Spirit came to them, it came, brought them purity. The early church was a church of purity. We, 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 see, the, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Mm. That's, a, that's a hard story, isn't it? What happened? They lied, didn't they? They came before the elders. They came before the, the leaders of the church, and they said, this is how much we got for our land. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, no, nah, they're lying. They lied to the Spirit, and guess what happened? They were struck dead. Because the early church didn't have a place for liars. The early church said, no, you want to be a part of us, you, you got to strive for purity. Are we striving for purity? You see, there's no room for immorality. Now, understand that none of us are without sin. I, I, please don't stand here and, and leave and say, man... He said, there's no room for me because I'm just a sinner. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that if you have sinned, you have no place here. I was always taught that the church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a rest home for saints, right? Anyone ever heard that one before? This is a place for us to come and to be pure, a place to come. We don't, look, if you're not walking the straight and narrow, that doesn't mean you can't come in here. This is a place to come and to be healed. However, if you claim to be a Christian, if you say, I am a Christ follower and live in sin as well, that doesn't make sense. It's an oxymoron. You can't have both. Everyone's welcome to come through the doors, right? We always hear it preached, come as you are, right? Come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. Great. I always like to add to it. Come as you are, but it'd be expect to change. Come as you are, but expect to change. Because when you come before the Holy Spirit, when you come before God, He expects you to leave your life of sin. He wants to transform you. He wants to put you through the fire. He wants to purify you. So don't think, well, I've sinned, so I don't belong. No, no, you belong here. But you can't keep living in sin. We, we always use the illustration of the woman that's caught in adultery, right? Well, Jesus showed her grace. You're right, he absolutely did. He forgave her. But you know what else he said? Go and sin no more. Come as you are, but expect to be purified. God doesn't have a place for sin. He wants to cleanse you. Well, I make mistakes. I got you. But guess what we have to do? We have to repent and keep coming back for more purification until the final day when God says, I've completed you. And we spend an eternity with him. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it's about purity. You want to see a mark of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he placed tongues of fire upon the heads and the believers symbolizing the purging of the Spirit that resulted in purity. We need to strive for purity. We need to, we need to stop pushing up against that gray line of, of how much bad can I do before it's categorized as sin? Or why don't we do this? How much good can I do before I'm categorized as mirroring Jesus Christ? Why do we always want to push up against how bad can I do? Why can't we push up how, how, how much more can I look like Christ? Stop trying to figure out how much bad we can do, and let's figure out how we can be purified and become more like Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the second sign. The third sign is passion. When the Holy Spirit came, there was passion. If you go to, go to verse 4, I like what it says there. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues or in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You see, what we have to understand is at that day in, in Jerusalem, there were people that were represented from all over, people that spoke of different tongues. And as they were filled with the Spirit, they were able to speak in those tongues of the people that were represented in Jerusalem that day so that those people could hear the gospel. And so when the, when the Holy Spirit comes, there is a passion to tell the gospel. There's a passion that comes to us that says, I want you to tell about the gospel. There was this passion and a desire for those who were not believers. There was, a, there was a passion in them that said there are non-believers in the world and I want to do everything I can to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you, you don't want to hide it. You don't want to hide it under a bushel. Is that, remember the little kid song? You, you don't want to hide it under a bushel. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's so much power in you. There's so much, there's so much passion in you that you say, I got to go tell somebody. And you go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what was happening in the early church then at Pentecost. Is that still happening today? Are we filled with that much passion for God? Passion to tell the gospel and then passion for the lost. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, what are we doing? Are we here to fill seats? Are we here in a rest home for saints? Or do we have a passion to go and to reach the lost? to find those who are hurting, to find those who are living in sin, who are dead in sin. It says you were dead in your transgressions is what Scripture teaches. Do we have a passion for those who are lost to bring them back? In Acts chapter 8, the church was scattered due to persecution, and as they left, they evangelized the world. The believers did not simply occupy themselves with survival as they fled, right? That wasn't their main focus. we got to survive. No. Their main focus was, to, their, their, their passion was to reach the loss that they encountered. They had a passion for lost souls. There was this passion in them that said, I have the salvation, and I want others to have the salvation as well. Do we have that passion, ladies and gentlemen? Do we have that all-consuming passion of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, or are we just going through the motions? Because it's my prayer that if you've lost that passion, that you will spend time with God, that you will pray the Holy Spirit will come and rekindle that fire. So the three signs so far are power, purity, passion. A spirit-filled church is a church with passion for evangelism. And the fourth is peace. It's peace. If you go to verse 1, it says they were all together. 
when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, we see that they were gathered and they were all in one accord. And this means that they were all of the same mind. They were at peace with one another. They were united. With the Holy Spirit comes peace. And what type of peace? Well, the first is peace with God. When you accept the salvation of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and puts you on the journey of sanctification, you are now at peace with God. You are no longer living against him. You are living with him. And he is filling you. So when you have the Holy Spirit in you, when you are filled with God, you're at peace with him. Secondly, when, when, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're at peace with others. In other words, unity among believers is a key theme throughout the New Testament, we see. And it's clearly identified as being a work of the Holy Spirit. A spirit-filled church is a church that is full of peace and unity. We're at peace with one another. We're not fighting each other. We're not purposely trying to belittle one another. We're not downing each other. We're not gossiping behind each other's backs. We're at peace with each other. Meaning, yeah, we may have had a fight. We may have had an issue, but we seek to find reconciliation. We offer forgiveness before it was asked for. We seek to end the fight, not cause more. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the fourth sign is that you are willing to be a peacemaker. Are we a peacemaker, ladies and gentlemen? Do we strive to find peace or do we thrive off drama and anger? Be a peacemaker, the Holy Spirit says. Number five, so we have power, purity, passion, peace. And number five is a spirit-filled church reaches. Y'all thought I was going to use another P, didn't you? <laughs> Lastly, the Holy Spirit-filled church, a Holy Spirit-filled person reaches. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, we see that the message given to Peter was an effective one. As you continue reading, it says thousands were added to their numbers. There were non-believers who were reached and began to believe because of the message of the church that day. When the Holy Spirit comes, he reaches those who otherwise would not have been reached. You go to those who are marginalized. You go to those who mm, you may dislike or sin differently than we do. You see, the, the church has a long history of, of finding hot topic sins, and when you find that hot topic sin, we cannot associate with them because of their sin. What did Jesus do? He went and ate with them. He went to the woman at the well in the midday that everybody said, we cannot associate with her, and Jesus said, I will. Jesus went to the lepers who said that they were unclean. They screamed it out. I'm unclean. Don't come near me. And Jesus said, I got it. I don't care if I get sick. I don't care if I catch it. I got I to reach you. But I'm unclean. Jesus said, I can make you clean. The tax collector. Everybody loved the tax collectors, didn't they? Bunch of thieves. And what did Jesus do? You see, see, what we have tendencies to do, the church, is we badmouth them and we belittle them. What did Jesus say? I'm going to go to your house and eat with you. I'm going I'm to show you love and grace. I know what you've done, but you, you deserve to be reached. You deserve to hear it as well. On one Wednesday night, we were talking 
about how we can evangelize and do things for people. And sometimes it's hard when we're mad at that person, right? When it comes to reaching people, it's as simple as just praying for them. Stopping and saying, I'm going to pray for you. Because then what will happen then is you will notice the Holy Spirit will come into your heart and remove that anger. It's hard to hate somebody when you're praying for them. And then think to yourself, that person that I'm, I'm angry at or I'm hating on is somebody that Jesus Christ thought was worthy to die for. You see, Jesus Christ stepped up and said, I need to reach you. The Holy Spirit stepped into the early church and said, you've got to reach people. And God is still looking down on our churches right now and saying, forget the division. Be willing to go and reach. I get it. They voted differently than you. They sinned differently than you. They act differently than you. But that is somebody that I died for, Jesus says. Who are you to hold the truth from them? When the Holy Spirit, with the fifth mark of the Holy Spirit for the church, are people who are willing to go and reach those who otherwise would never have been reached. To get into the valleys with those people who are struggling, who are lost. Are we willing to do that, church? A spirit-filled church is a church that reaches and introduces people to Jesus on a regular basis. And I'll be honest with you, it's easy to, to stand here for me to get up in the pulpit and to preach this sermon about what the church needs to be doing. And it's easy for you to sit or to listen in online and hear this sermon. Amen, preacher. That's exactly what the church needs to do. That's what they need to do. But the hard reality is that the church will never be spirit-filled on an international, on a national, on a district, or even a local level until it is filled with individuals who are filled with the Spirit. It's easy for me to preach it. It's easy for you to hear it. But it's much harder for us to live it. And are we living it, ladies and gentlemen? You see, I'm talking about these are the five marks of a Holy Spirit-filled church. I know we, we're, we're running out of time, but you guys got time for five more points? I put them on one slide. Go ahead and put them up there. We got five points. This is the signs of a Spirit-filled person. The Spirit-filled person is a person of power. They get things done for the Lord because they're energized and powered by the Holy Spirit who gives them strength and courage for the task ahead. You're filled with power when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-filled person is a person of purity. They have a level of personal integrity that is unmatched in the world around them. They are a person of integrity. They say, you know what? I, am gonna, I know I'm not perfect, but the Holy Spirit's going to purify me. I'm not going to continue pretending to be a Christian yet living in sin. I'm going to say, I'm going to try to, I'm going to do everything I can to allow the Holy Spirit to purify me. They have personal integrity. You know what integrity is? It's what you do when no one else is looking. Oh, the church sees how great I am, but what happens behind closed doors? What happens when no one else is looking? The spirit-filled person is a person of purity, a person of integrity. The spirit-filled person is a person of passion. They are a person who is telling the world about the best thing that ever happened to them. They have that fire inside them. I know every one of you know somebody like that. Oh, I do. My grandpa, my papa, that man, he could testify to anybody. It didn't matter. We'd go to McDonald's, play in the place that my grandpa would sit there and talk to every parent in there about Jesus Christ because he had a passion inside him to evangelize. A spirit-filled person is a person of passion. A spirit-filled person is a person of peace. They forgive before they're asked to. They seek the common good among believers. 
They're unified in their church and with other churches in the body of Christ. They're peacemakers. And lastly, the spirit-filled person is a person that reaches. They know the gospel, and when they tell it, they reach others to believe. Ladies and gentlemen, I truly believe that we want to be a spirit-filled church, yes? But in order to be a spirit-filled church, we have to be spirit-filled individuals. And as I said on, on Wednesday, as Pastor Tanya and the worship team come to lead us again, I said, it is my prayer for this church, for everyone here, myself included, to be imitators of Jesus Christ, to mirror Jesus, and to do good. And this morning, I want to extend that just a little bit. I want us to be imitators of Jesus, to do good, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you want that as well, ladies and gentlemen? Amen. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, as we go back into song.
great shepherd of the sheep. Equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you, and I'll see you guys in the fellowship hall as we share a meal. God bless you guys.